0: All right, we are in our series now on uh, Gospel in Life, Grace Changes Everything. And in this series, we are talking about uh, ways that the gospel affects various parts of our lives. And today, the theme that we're going to be looking at is community. And we're going to be answering the question, how does the gospel of grace Change our experience of community. Um, Yeah, we're going to look at some biblical teaching about community and some of the spiritual realities that exist because of the gospel, and then we're going to look at some of the practical outworkings of how uh, we live in gospel community and some practices that we can do in order to promote uh, greater Christian community. So the first and most obvious way that the gospel changes our experience of community is that when a person responds to the invitation for salvation and puts their trust in God's grace to save them from their sins, that person is instantly becomes part of a new community. And that community is described in the Bible with a lot of different terms and uh, metaphors and things. Some of the key ones are that it's called the people of God or the family of God, or the church. And a great passage that discusses this Christian community is in Peter's first letter in chapter 2. So if you open your Bible with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, or pull that up on your app, or however you do that. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 9. And this is what it says. It says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. So the first thing I want to point out there is that you need to notice that this is all plurals in here. This is not talking about individual realities. It's talking about things that we are together Um, The Bible is not telling you that you are a chosen person or you are a royal priest. Uh, Peter is teaching his readers that they are together a chosen people and a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And yeah, it's true that it kind of implies that each person in the holy nation is a holy person and each part of that royal priesthood is is a priest. But that's not what the point where the Bible is trying to make here. The main idea here is that together, the church is a chosen people. And the point is that that these things are all being experienced as a community, not as an individual. This is not something to be lived out as individuals, but as a church. Because uh, Christians are a little bit like charcoal briquettes right? So uh, when you get a nice pile of briquettes going in your grill there, and you've got them nicely uh, arranged in there, and they're burning, you can cook a really nice uh, pork chop on there, very tasty, much better than the uh, gas grill, to if you really get the chart. But, but what happens if you take a burning briquette away from the others and put it off by itself, pretty soon it starts to smolder a little it starts to cool off and and it sputters and grows cold and as christians we are meant to be together we are not meant to be alone it is as a group that we function as a royal priesthood where we are helping others to come and experience God and relate to Him. It is as a group that we can best declare the praises of God. And then that last part of the section, it says, once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. So what does that mean? Well, it means that the thing that makes us a people, it, uh, that thing is, the thing that makes us a new community is the new faith That we have. This new community is created by our common faith in Jesus. Once we were not a people, many of us didn't really have that much in common. Um, We might be from different backgrounds in terms of our education and our race and our our financial situation or our age. We might even be have different political views. But there's one thing that unites us. Uh, No matter how different we are, and that is our faith. And because of our faith, once we were not a people, we were different. But now we are united as the people of God. We have a genuine bond with one another as Christians. We are together the people of God. And one of the consequences of this gospel truth is that we are all equal before God. As God puts it in in, in Galatians chapter 3, it says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It says neither Jew nor Gentile. That means racial and ethnic divisions are erased. It says uh, neither slave nor free. That means economic equality, inequalities do not separate us. There's don't get any bigger economic inequality than slave and free. Neither male nor female. That means we're not separated by our genders. Now, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's no black church, no white church, no male church, no female church, no rich church, no poor church. And in October of an election year, it's good to remember that there's no Republican church and no Democrat church. If you belong to Christ... You are Abraham's seed. Now, obviously, when the Bible says that there's no male or female, no Jew or Gentile, it's not saying that those categories don't actually exist, right? There really are ways that Christians are different from one another. But none of those differences matter to God. God accepts every person in the same way, no matter who they are and no matter which category they belong to. Men and women are not saved in different ways to different salvations. God does not take skin color into consideration when he assesses the value of a person. God does not think that a poor person has less value than a wealthy one. We are all one in Christ Jesus and stand on equal ground Before him, any sense that God loves you more or less, depending on any of these factors is just not true. The Bible teaches that we are all sinners in need of grace, regardless of our race, our gender, our age or anything else. Another place that people sometimes imagine themselves as having a high rank or maybe not having a high rank uh, in, in the church has to do with their spiritual background. Some people think, oh, well, I've been a Christian since I was a kid. I went to Bible college. I serve as a teacher in the church. All those things are great, but they don't give you a higher status in God's eyes. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul tells a story about when he first became a Christian and he made a trip to Jerusalem where he met uh, Peter and John. Uh, Peter and John were two of Jesus' closest disciples. They were like not just part of the 12 disciples that traveled with Jesus. This was Peter and John, the top two guys uh, in the the disciples. And he also met uh, a guy named James, who was Jesus' brother, grew up with him and was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And uh, these three guys, these three were the original celebrity pastors, right? I've met a few Christian celebrities. I've had the privilege of meeting a few guys. I've met, uh, I've met uh, John Piper, and Timothy Keller. I've met Michael W. Smith. I even bought him a Coke when I met him. I'll tell you that story sometime. I've met uh, John Cooper, the guy from Skillet. Um, I've met some, some people, but these three guys, Peter, James, and John, I mean, these guys have to be the, the highest-ranking Christians ever, right? Um, they spent years with Jesus. But here's how Paul describes it. Paul says, as for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. Anybody who thinks that they're a big deal in the church or a big deal to God because of their great spiritual maturity or their leadership position needs to think about that one. Whatever they were makes no difference to me because God does not show favoritism. And of course, the same goes for those who think that they're unimportant. God does not show favoritism. The gospel of grace says that one who seems to people to be of low rank is equally valuable to God. Now, at the risk of just stating the obvious, if God sees race, gender, economic situation, and the rest as non-factors, then we should too. The gospel of grace puts an end to any feelings of superiority or inferiority. God accepts all of us on equal standing, showing no favoritism. So we cannot look down on the poor. We cannot think that other races are inferior to our own. Sexism has no place in the church. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So let me summarize what we've seen so far about Christian community. First of all, we've seen that as Christians, we are connected. When we put our faith in Jesus, we become part of something much bigger than ourselves. We become part of the people of God, a holy nation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And that connection that we have crosses over the barriers that would otherwise divide us. Race, gender, economic status, whether you prefer cats or dogs, not even political affiliations can separate us as Christians. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And we also saw that not only are we all members of the people of God, but we are all members of equal status and importance. There is no curtain between first class and coach in the church. God loves us all according to his grace and mercy, not according to our relative worthiness. We are all sinners in need of grace, and the more we see ourselves as the recipients of God's mercy and grace, the more we'll treat one another with humility and respect. Now I want to move over to another passage that uh, tells uh, some more key ideas about Christian community. Moving over to the book of Ephesians, a few pages back in your Bible. I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 19, where it says, uh, where are we here? Uh, Verse 19, next page. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So that first part is really saying pretty similar to what we've already seen, right? That uh, we were once foreigners and strangers, but no longer. Now we are fellow citizens and members of God's family. Then uh, verse 20. uh, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So the whole church, which is being pictured here as a a building, is being joined together and becoming a holy temple. That means that the more we grow together, being built up by God, we become the temple of God. It means that God comes to live in us. We together become the dwelling place of God on earth. We the people of the church are the place where God can or where people can come and have an encounter with God. That's what a temple is. It's when the people of God gather that God is there among us and we can best experience his presence. So of course it's true that there are times when we're all alone and we have a very profound experience of the presence of God. But the primary way that we will experience God is when we go to the temple of God. And the temple of God is not about a physical place or a building. It is about the community of God gathering and being joined together and built up to be the holy temple of God. And it is when we are gathered as the temple of God that we best worship God, that we best connect to God, and that we best grow closer to God. Two chapters later in Ephesians, we have a further explanation of our growth in and as a community. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to start reading in verse 11, where it says, uh, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So we have a church with uh, structure and leaders and spiritual gifts and all that so that those leaders can equip all the people of the church to to do the work of God so that the body of Christ may be built up. And yeah, we've changed metaphors here. Two chapters back, uh, the church was a building that was a temple. Now it's a human body. Uh, The Bible changes metaphors. That's okay. But now we're a body. So um, verse 13 it says, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What we have here is a description of the goal of this building up. What are we growing toward? What are we aiming for? Unity, knowledge of God, maturity, and, and being filled with Christ, We want to be mature, and we want to be at our full potential, fulfilling the purposes for which God created us. Verse 14, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed and in back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So when we are mature and we hear health and wealth preachers or some other unbiblical teaching, we will recognize immediately that this is not godly biblical teaching. We will not be swayed by the bad theology we see on, from televangelists on TV or by the guys who write books that distort scripture. We will be mature and able to recognize truth and falsehood. Verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We are joined and held together by each other, growing and being built up in love. And that means that love is part of the growth process. And also that as we grow, what we're growing to be is more loving people. It says, as each part does its work. What are the parts of the body in this, in this uh, metaphor? Well, the parts of the body are the individual people who make up the, the body. Each of us is just a part of something much bigger. And it is as each of us parts do our work that we all grow to be what we were meant to be. So do you want to be a better person, to grow in your spiritual life, and have a closer connection to God, and accomplish more good with your life? You can't do that alone. You will only accomplish these goals when you pursue them as part of Christian community, when you pursue them as part of a solid local church. And I don't mean that you just simply need to attend church services on a weekly or a more or less weekly basis. Uh, The church thrives together when each part does its work. And your part is not filling a chair. And a church that is full of people who just fill chairs on the weekends is not going to be a thriving church that is fulfilling its purposes in the world. For our church to thrive, we need each part to do its work. And a big part of that is that each person needs to be practicing and using their own spiritual gifts. The Bible teaches that we have all been gifted differently by God to do certain kinds of ministries. And each of us will do our part best when we're doing the things that we are gifted to do. And the explanation of that whole concept that I like best is the idea of shape. Shape is an acronym. It stands for spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. And those five things together tell how God has shaped you to be the person you are and to do certain uh, ministries and tasks as part of the community of God. And if you want to uh, know more about shape and how to figure out uh, what, uh, how God has made you and where you might be able to serve, I'm going to be posting something about that on our Facebook page. So go to the church Facebook page and you should be able to find some more information about, about that. Um, But today I want to talk about some things that, you know, shape has to do with what you as an individual, what part you play in the, in the community, but these are, there are some things that all of us can do um, and that are not individualized but are general practices that all of us should be doing to promote community. And I want to, I'm going to talk about three practices that promote Christian community. The first one is that we must affirm one another. When you see God working through another person, affirm that to them. Give them that encouraging word to help them see what you see. When you see someone is struggling to see their own value, affirm to them that God sees them as valuable, that we are all sinners in need of grace and that God's love and grace extends also to them. Help them to see that God does not show favoritism and neither does his church. We love those in humble circumstances. The Bible instructs us repeatedly that this affirmation, this whole idea of affirmation, should also be shown outwardly. Um, several times the Bible instructs Christians to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, in our culture, a kiss of greeting isn't really a thing that we do uh, in our culture anymore. Um, In some cultures around the world, that's very much still a current practice, and they can apply this scripture exactly the way it's uh, described here, but we don't really kiss each other that way in our culture. Uh, But that doesn't mean that we just ignore this and say, okay, well, that's something for someone else to do. We still need to ask the question, what does the Bible mean? What is the intention when it gives us instruction? Well, it means that we should affirm one another in a visible and even a physical way. So here we are in the middle of a pandemic, and we can't really be doing much of this stuff. We can't be shaking hands and giving hugs and all that the way we normally would. But trust me, this is temporary. This is all going to come to an end, and you can start applying this stuff a little more normally. uh, I'm not sure exactly when, but it won't be long. And when all this is over, hugs, handshakes can be a culturally appropriate ways that we can follow this biblical instruction. But however we do it, let us affirm one another in clear actions. As Christians, we cannot be cold and indifferent to one another. The Bible wants us to affirm one another with a holy kiss, a warm, affectionate, and appropriate uh, greeting. So that's affirmation. We need to be affirming one another. A second practice that will promote healthy Christian community is sharing life together. Sharing one another's space, goods, and time, and bearing one another's burdens. I heard a sermon on this theme once years ago where the preacher's big point, or at least the point that I will remember from it, was he said, Church, we need to consume more food together. And he said it with this cool British accent, because he was from England. But anyway, uh, he was right. Eating together, the very act of just sitting down together and eating together is a significant thing. And having church potlucks and things like that, where we all get together and eat, again, something, it's coming again soon. But, but, that's part of it, but so is the simple act of just having people over to your home and having them for dinner. That, uh, or eating out at a restaurant together, that's, that's good too. Um, the point is that when you are consuming food together, you are spending time in relationship together. You're having that dinner table conversation and your community is growing and deepening as you're doing that. But of course, there's a lot more to it than just consuming food together. I said the practice is to share one another's space, goods, and time. And consuming food together does all three of those, but of course, there are other great opportunities too for us to share space, goods, and time. And that means that we just need to do things together. Um, this is why we have a church softball team. a couple of teams. This is why there's a church camp out where we go up to Iklutna. This is why there's been canoe trips and backpacking trips and, and breakfasts where we get together and, 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 and all kinds of events where we serve together, like the Wendler Back to School party or last year we did that mission trip to Bolivia. Part of that was about building community with the other people on the team. That's why the young adults get together and play hockey on the lake in the winter on Thursday nights. But sharing time and space together, being together, is not all there is to this. Uh, we must also share our goods with one another. That means that our sharing must include economic help for those who have needs. Needs. In a strong Christian community, we care for one another enough to sacrifice our money to help those who have needs. Even when it means that we might have to refrain from some purchases that we would have really liked to have made for ourselves, we help one another. And this sharing also includes what the Bible calls bearing one another's burdens, True Christian community celebrates with those who celebrate and mourns with those who mourn. When we're sharing life with one another to the extent that we know what's going on in other people's lives and we sympathize with those who are struggling. So those are the first two practices. Affirm one another and share life together. Third practice is Uh, for building healthy Christian community is considering one another's interests above your own. And this just comes straight out of Philippians chapter 2. The Bible says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. The church is not a place for selfish ambition. Ambition is great if the ambition is that our church would lift Jesus high in our community, that we would do lots of good and, uh, and accomplish much for God. But it's uh, the, the right kind of ambition is the kind that is accomplished in humility and that values others above ourselves. Now, that's easy to say and hard to do doesn't need a lot of explanation. It's just a challenge for us. This is what a healthy Christian community, a healthy church looks like. Each person looking out for the interests of the others. None of us seeking our own selfish ambition, but rather humbly serving one another. Once we were not a people... Now we are the people of God. We stand together, equal in God's sight, united despite our differences. We are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. We are being built up as we all join together as each one does our work. And these three practices of affirming one another sharing life with one another, and in humility, considering one another above ourselves, will help us to live up to that high calling. So I want to finish with two questions for you to think about. First question is, in which of these practices do you need to up your game? Which of those three things do you need to do better at? Maybe you're doing well in one or two of them, but the other one, not so much. Where do you need to do better? And the second question is, what will you do this week to promote healthy community at Clearwater Church? What will you do this week? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for choosing us to be your people. We thank you for the privilege of serving as a royal priesthood and as your temple here on earth. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to live up to this high calling. May our community... Of Clearwater Church be a beacon to all who are looking for community. May we welcome in many new members. I ask this, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.